Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's May 19th, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. It's been so long, I almost forgot how to do the intro. Yeah, so, I mean, is this a podcast thing I heard about? <laughs> I uh, <laughs> figure out what I'm doing here. One thing that stays the same is I'm sick. So <laughs> yeah, so that's true. <laughs> Some things never change. You know, I fought it on the ship. I was fine on the ship for two freaking weeks, and I was fine for like eight days in Europe. And then the last three days, I got caught something, and my last three days were ruined. And I've been sick ever since. I, I mean, I took some drugs and stuff, and I'm beating it now. But I'm, but I, I was really bad for a while there. I was on death doorstep actually really surprising that you made it the entire cruise with your boy in the bubble immune system. I know, I can't believe it. Yeah. <clears throat> well, maybe anyway. it was delayed. Maybe I really did get sick on the ship. I just didn't get it for eight more days. <laughs> it's like malware. It just like burrowed into you and then decided to come out. Exactly. <laughs> it's like shingles. <laughs> well, hopefully uh, people are still listening to the show after our extended break and didn't move on to um, a, a lesser poker podcast, if there is a lesser one out there. But uh, but it was a fun trip. Really enjoyed it. Um, actually, the, the entire trip, including the cruising and everything I did afterwards, easily rates as the trip of my lifetime so far. Um, uh, I just had a blast in Europe, and we had fun on the cruise. And um, but uh, but it was nice to get back too. I think. Yeah, I'm always happy to, to get back just for the you know the, the comfort of it. You know what I mean? I mean, I love seeing new worlds and visiting new places and stuff, but there's nothing better than just sitting in your own bed and watching your own TV and having your own internet and relaxing and drinking your own iced tea that you bought at the store, you know, that kind of thing. So I like that stuff too, but don't get me wrong. I, it, was, it was a great trip. I love, I love traveling the world. Um, yeah, I'm try- it's been so long now that we've been gone and then so long since we were on the cruise and I was at a breakneck pace when I got off the cruise. We did like one to two nights in like every city we went to. Right. Uh, uh, I'm realizing at age 45 that's getting a little more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I did the best I could, but I finally uh, my, my feet gave out in Bratislava, so I had to take uh, three or four hours off that day. And then, uh, then when I got to uh, Krakow, uh, I, I had climbed to the top of every castle and every city I went to. Um, but Krakow, my feet looked at me and like, ah, uh, ain't happening, boy. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna sit this one out. Have another beer. Um, so um, it was funny because I got back and I was talking to somebody, uh, one of my friends here, who's like three years older than me, and he was like, "He's like, yeah, I was watching him. Like, I don't think I could do it." <laughs> and I'm like, "And you're just a few years younger than me." And I'm like, "Yeah, I think five years from now, I would not have been able to do the trip I just did." So we'll see. But yeah, I mean, I I did fine that way. I just got sick. Um, but I, I can see how it's slowing me down a little bit here and there, but it's mostly just because 
you know, the, the time change in the beginning. Like, that, the time change kicked my butt on the ship. Doing it one hour at a time every day, basically, this does not work for me. I, I would rather just go there, stay up overnight, and then be done with it, or come home after that, and then just stay up until I get home here. It's like 4 o'clock in the morning in your mind here, but it's only 8 o'clock there. Stay up for a couple more hours, go to sleep, and you're back on normal time. I have no jet lag coming home or when I go there, but when I go there an hour at a time from the ship, that killed me. I was taking naps till like 3, a, 3 in the afternoon on the ship. It was killing me. But my body seemed to hold out all right. I, my feet were okay. I didn't have any problems with, with the walking and stuff. We walked probably 10, 15 miles a day, and then we went up and down every mountain and castle, too. It's just... Um, if I didn't get sick, I think it would have been it would have been one of my best trips of all time. But getting sick and missing the final three days was just basically a real letdown right at the end too. But uh, still had a great time. Yeah, we had a good group on the cruise too, a small group as we thought, but a good group, and um, I enjoyed it. I actually did well too. I uh, did all right in the tournaments and stuff, and uh, finally figured out how to play cash towards the end of the cruise. <laughs> yes, yeah, stuck out on everybody. <laughs> I was getting the, getting brutalized early on in the cruise. But, uh, Here's how Scott wins. Get a hit of one outer. There you go. I was doing great till you showed up. <laughs> uh, now, and then once we got off the ship, uh, I'm like, I think every city I went to had a poker room in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not go in any single one of them, though. <laughs> uh, in eight countries, so, but it was it was interesting to me to see how prevalent poker is in Europe. You know, even like in like Bratislava, which I wouldn't think had a poker room, but there was a poker room like right across from um, uh, where I stayed. So. I wish I would have had more time. I just felt like, you know, hey, when you've got one night or two nights in, in these great, amazing cities here, it, it's tough to sit down and commit four hours of poker. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's so much else to do. But um, but our uh, one of our strategy columnists, Brent Philbin, who uh, took the cruise with us, and then he uh, went his own way in Europe as well, too. Um, uh, you know, we all got off in Barcelona, so I uh, got to see him before he moved on to his other way. Um, but he actually went to play in Barcelona. I'm sure he played everywhere else as well, too, but I haven't had a chance to catch up with him. But in Barcelona, he came back, and, and at dinner he was telling us that uh, how interesting it was there that um, they they announce all the cards as they as they flop, turn, and river them. So, you know, they'll put out the flop, and they'll go jack of diamonds, eight of clubs, six of spades, and announce it. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of interesting. Um, I mean, I guess the only reason we don't do that here in the states is it slows the game down, right? I would think you know, there's really no reason not to. I mean, it's, it seems like a good thing to do to, you know, properly announce them. But never seen that done before. No, I me mean, neither. Sometimes on TV they'll do it for show, or whatever. But I've never actually seen it in a room. Um, and they also said they used ten euro chips in the game, and it was a uh, I want to say it was a one three game or something weird like that um, that you wouldn't think that they ten chips. I mean, I guess there's also ones that they use as well too, um, but no fives. Um, but so anyhow, so he said it was, tipping the waitress was a challenge. So it, it would have given you good cover there, Chris. Well, how is it a challenge if they have one chips? If they have he ones, you can tip them with a one. Ones worked their way into the game, but early on, all we had were tens. So I mean, it had to have change. If you the blinds were one and three, someone had to get someone had to fold their blind and get a one in. Someone had yeah. To, that's what I'm saying. Eventually, as it got around, but it sounded like people were betting in, in ten euro increments as well too. So I mean, other than the blinds, you really didn't get much of an opportunity to to get change, I guess. So. Um, 
<laughs> but uh, he, so he he gave like a I believe he said he gave a ten euro chip to the waitress and asked for change, and then she um, disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, uh, okay, I guess I just tipped her 10 euros. Oh, man. And like half an hour later, she shows back up, and apparently she had to go cash the chip in and then bring the change back to him. Oh, jeez. Uh, because um, it's not the same as here in the States where they just, I guess, accept chips um, as, as tips or payments. So, um, But that's, uh, I feel bad. We, we have a, a legion of... 18, 19 listeners out there were waiting for us to get back <laughs> with all these great poker stories, and, and that's the best I can offer you from 25 days in the <laughs> Yeah, I mean, not much really happened. We, we played Nolan and Hold'em the whole time, all two weeks. There, yeah. was, there was nothing, you know, no one wanted, some people, one or two people might be interested in trying Omaha or something, but you really just, they were just all hardcore, a lot of them were tournament players too, so they were trying their hand at cash. Um, but there really wasn't much to, to talk about because it's one table every night, same eight people or nine people or ten people at the night, you know, were playing. And we only played Hold'em. So it wasn't – and your trip was interesting. Your last transatlantic where it was mo- it ended up being mostly Omaha, right? Or they – Yeah, the last trip we we had a little bit more organized of a group, I think. So that they um, – we showed up and we, we did a tournament in the morning and everybody broke for lunch. And then we did a half-and-half half game in the afternoon, half no limit, half – Limit Omaha high low, yeah, uh, which is kind of a weird mix, but it worked for the group. And then, um, and then no limit cash game at night, so yeah, it's a little bit more regimented and and you're right, variety. Uh, where this was, you know, the, our group was a little less cohesive this time, um, yeah, and um, just really wanted to play no limit hold'em. I think yeah. there, there's some discussion of playing something else, but it, it just never took off. No, it's never happened. It could be uh, numbing to play no limit hold'em for two weeks straight every night. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not easy to do unless that's your passion. Let me tell you. Certainly not my passion. <laughs> I, I persevered. So yeah. Um, well, of course, uh, I don't. I don't know what news we we missed while we were gone because there's so much news that happened since we got back that I hadn't even gone through the old news to figure out what we missed. But uh, but really big news that happened this week. Uh, Poker Central, which is the that upstart poker TV network that eventually gave up on that dream to focus on web based content has secured the digital and TV rights to the World Series of Poker and reached a side agreement with ESPN to expand television coverage of the World Series of Poker. Live coverage of the main event will air on ESPN and ESPN2 throughout the event. Uh, but the big news is the deal means the end of the November 9, as play will finish out in July after a three-day rest break for the final table. I'm still not sure I understand this. All right. Okay, so it says that they Poker Central has the TV rights. But ESPN is expanding television coverage. Yeah, well, it, they're work, they they work out a deal with each other, so I don't know. I don't know how the whole finances work and everything, but that, that's probably what happened. Is that it, it got ESPN's deal got sent to Poker Central, and then Poker Central subcontracted with ESPN or something like that. But um, so as part of the deal, though, that the the coverage is going to be more now. So you know, unlike last year where they did a bunch of uh, taped stuff, and then they started all the taped stuff. Or, or, I hate that I keep calling it taped. I know. recorded stuff. Uh, when they started doing recorded episodes after the main event ended, um, leading all the way up to the November 9. Instead, now they're just going to do live coverage uh, at night uh, throughout the main event. So it'll be... A lot of things are different here. I mean, one, it's going to be watching poker live, which I think some people really like and some people really don't like. So if you're the type that likes to watch it live, you're going to love this new deal. Um, if you're the type that like the you know 
the well-edited package shows that they had before, you're probably going to hate this deal. All right. Um, but then, you know, at that point now, I mean, since you're not doing all this recorded stuff and leading up to November 9, there's no reason really to have a November 9 anymore, right? So now we go back the way it used to be, and um, which could add a little bit more excitement to it, I think. I mean, we, we've had this discussion a lot about the November 9, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the past, we we thought by doing the November 9 to build more excitement because now you got to meet these people and get to know them and have the rooting interest over the, you know, the couple months that are off. Um but I, I think you get rid of it now, and because of this live coverage, um, people are going to – it's going to be obviously much more like a live sporting event now rather than – I don't know. It, obviously, it was always live, right? <laughs> but you know what I mean? Right. No, like instead of uh, you know Circus of the Stars you know, recorded stuff where you can edit it out and everything, it's just going to be a regular sporting event. Right, right. So I think you know, so I, I think the advantage of number nine is you got to know the nine – players pretty well during the break because all the focus was on them and learning about them and what they were doing, right? Right. Um, but by trading it now, I think now you're watching live, so you get to know probably more players than you would before and maybe even have a rooting interest for somebody hoping they get to the final table, which we were kind of lacking before because, you know, unless you watch the streams, um, you didn't have that. So by the time you figure out who's at the final table, those are the nine people you focused on, Right. Well, well, the other thing I wanted to ask you too is, in your reading of, I read a couple of the stories, but I didn't really get the sense. It, was ESPN, ESPN two, still going to keep doing this throughout next year and years after, or is this the last year yeah, ESPN's doing it? Oh, it's a, uh, the Poker Central deal with the uh, World Series is a four year deal. So um, now I don't know whether the ESPN part of the Poker Central deal is also four years, but I would think it would be. Okay, that's the part I was wondering about. I don't know. I guess we'll see. So, okay. Um, hmm. Well, you know, again, I'm not a big live poker viewer, I don't think, but I probably will tune in um, just because it's new and different. Um, but the advantage, I think, would be, like, you know, if there's a player that you know, like a player from your hometown or um, a pro that you like to watch or, you know, it gets down towards the end and people are waiting to, you know, see um, which woman might have a chance of actually making the final table and win this year, yeah, now, you're, now you can follow them live watching. Uh, where before you had to watch on the stream or chip counts or things like that. So it could add a little bit more excitement to it in that sense, I think. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. I'll be interested to see if you listen listen in and watch and see what you think of it because, you you know, this is kind of stuff that you never watched before. You know what I mean? I'd like to know what you think of it if you see it. We'll see. Yeah. Um, all right, well, a lot of other news coming out of the World Series uh, this week as well, too. Um, and, of course, it's getting ready to kick off here in about a week or so. Um, but here's what's new this year. The King's Cash Game Lounge debuts in the cash game section as a, quote, room within a room for high-stakes games, so giving players a more comfortable setting uh, for those that are playing those nosebleed games. Uh, while a shot clock will not be used, players and tournament directors are being asked to more closely monitor pace of play and do countdowns when necessary. Uh, more food options, though fewer seating areas will be offered, including more grab-and-go outlets and hot dog carts throughout the play area. Now, they put a popcorn machine in there and back. But <laughs> And then uh, next year's circuit schedule has been released with a record 26 events from August 2nd through May 10th, uh, featuring new events at Seminole Hard Rock Hollywood and Seminole Coconut Creek here in Florida, and two stops at our good friends uh, Thunder Valley Casino Resort in California. Nice. 
So I, the most interesting of this, I think, is the shock, uh, not the shot, non-shot clock, shot clock. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's not a firm policy, but it, putting people on notice that uh, they're, they're not enjoying this tanking that's been going on and are, are going to be very liberal in allowing players to call the clock and tournament directors to jump in and, and start to count down when players are taking more time than they probably should. Makes sense. It's it's it takes the onus off the players too to have to call the clock and create animosity or trouble, you know. Exactly. Yeah, I think if they make it clear, hey, you know, we want you guys to speed up play, you know, which baseball's doing the same thing now, right? Right. Now, once you you made you have said it, now hopefully people will adjust in their minds that hey, you know, you know, it was fun for me to tank before, but it's not really being tolerated now, so. Probably won't stop the serial tankers from tanking, but um, it, it does give them a bit more power to players to to try to make life a little more difficult for those people. Hey, you know, golf courses have those marshals that come up behind you and say, "Hey, come on!" Yeah, that's right. Yeah, hurry up. So let's have some marshal roaming the the, the tournament floor. <laughs> hurry up! That's it. You're folding. You're folding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the 2017 Annie Up World Championship will be July 20th to August 6th at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, California. For more details on this and all Annie Up Poker events, visit AnnieUpPokerTour.com. Annie Up partner Advanced Poker Training will be hosting an all-day strategy seminar July 1st at the Rio, home of the World Series of Poker. Presenters include current world champion Kui Tommy Gun uh, Nguyen, former Annie Up columnist Jonathan Little, and former world champ Scotty Wynn. Use code SECRETS999 by May 20th to get the $999 discounted rate. Register at advancedpokertraining.com. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's been a while since we've seen, like, you know, live training from pros and world champs. You know, that used to be all the rage. Yeah, yeah. The boom was, and then the market dried up and then um, it's good to see somebody trying it again so we'll see how successful they are and I think it's limited too I forget how many people it is but there's a limit on how many people can attend so cool. um, everybody gets good um, good time with all right, of them. Right, exactly. Okay, each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at anteupmagazine.com and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, which specializes in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Comes from Tom Jones. It's not unusual. <clears throat> he says, uh, I have an issue that came up... What? <laughs> what? He says, I have an issue that came up in my only regular home game that I've been playing in for years. It's a quarter 50 cent game, and the host and his wife frequent the game. She always sits to his left, and lately there have been a few things occurring recently that have me a little concerned. Truth be told, there have been a lot of little things that happened that I've let go, but recently it's been bad. Last time we played, the following things happened in this order. The board ran down something like Queen, Nine, Trey, Six, King. It was just the two of them in the hand. The host had been betting the whole way. He bet on the river, and his wife said, I'm not going to raise you, with the emphasis on the word you. She simply called and turned over king-queen for the winner. A short while later, she flopped trip sevens and checked it all the way down when it was just she and him in the hand. I know this isn't blatant all-out collusion, 
My problem is the host can be a bit abrasive, and I'm worried if I bring this up, I will no longer continue to be invited. Am I overreacting? Should I just let these things go? Should I stop showing up, essentially ending my only poker game? Is this something I can turn a blind eye to? Uh, so my advice to him was you have to decide whether playing in this game is more important than playing in a faulty game. And this is obviously a faulty game, right? Yes. This stuff shouldn't be happening. Um, and it does seem like Tom is concerned that if he brings it up, he's going to be uh, axed from the game, right? Right. So uh, that that's really how you answer this question, I think. You know, if uh, if you... Don't have anywhere else to play. This is the only place you want to you you can play, um, and you feel that there's any chance at all that you bring this up, even in a very polite and professional manner, that you're going to get kicked out. Then you're probably going to have to learn to just deal with this. Um, if now, if you think that you can bring it up in a in a polite uh, manner that's going to be well received by the host, um, and you're willing to not play if you were wrong <laughs> with that. Uh, then I absolutely would bring it up because this stuff shouldn't be happening. Um, but that's that's a tough spot to be in. I and I've, I've emailed back and forth with Tom on this too. He doesn't have anywhere else to play. So um, for me, if I had nowhere else to play, I would have to just grin and bear it here. But um, did you suggest talking to the other players in the game? Oh, that's a good question. No, I didn't. Because I would ask them, and if it doesn't bother them, if they're like you know clueless. And they're like, ah, oh, who cares? You know, whatever. then you're screwed. But if they're like, it's been killing me, it's been bothering me. Well, you get three or four people on your side, and you go to the guy and say, hey, you know, you and your wife are, are literally colluding and cheating. Can you stop? Can we also draw for our seats so she can't sit next to you the whole time? You guys can talk to each other about your hands and all. You know what I mean? And you do it in a nice way, especially if four or five of you are like, this is ridiculous. Because you get your own home game then to say, hey, we'll throw you out of the home game. Oh, that's true, too. You yeah. know, so it just depends on what's going on there. If everyone else is kind of like, oh, you know, it's, it's it's a simple, friendly home game. I didn't even realize that was going on. It's quarter 50 cent. Who cares? Then you're kind of like, eh, I'm resigned to this. I'm just going to try to make big hands and take all their money and let them keep their money, whatever. But if they're on, you got two or three on your side, and the three of you threaten to not play anymore, and it breaks up their game. They may be more willing to say, oh, I didn't even realize we were doing that. Oh, I'm really sorry, you know, or who knows? Sometimes you bring this stuff up in a nice, professional, friendly manner. They might even be on your side. They might be like, oh, you know what? You're right. I feel so bad. This is not right. So talk to the other players first while you can when the other the married couple are out of the room or just away or whatever and see what they say. Mm, good take, advice. Take it from there. Hey, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com, and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is an upgraded membership to PokerRadius.com, poker's best social networking site and home of the Annie Up Group discussions. This is Keith Custer from New Freedom, Pennsylvania. He's playing in a 1-3 Nolan Hold'em uh, game in a Maryland casino when an older Asian man sat down in middle position with a stack of $25 green chips, as if he had just come from a table game. A much younger Asian man, perhaps his grandson, stood behind him. The man posted his blind, and when the action got to him, the dealer asked him whether he wanted to check or bet. He appeared not to understand what the dealer was asking and acted confused. The young man started speaking to him in Chinese, at which point two players at the table objected, citing the English only and one player to a hand rules. The dealer asked the young man to stop talking to the older man, and the young man explained that the older man didn't speak English and didn't know how to play Nolan Holden. 
The dealer insisted that the young man not speak to the older man, who eventually folded. The same thing happened on the next hand, and everyone at the table urged the dealer to, in the interest of keeping the game moving, let the young man explain to the older man what was going on. This was allowed, and the older man called. On the third hand, I was heads up with the older man on the river, and he bet $75. I shoved with about $150 and a full house. The older man and the younger man again started conversing in Chinese, and almost simultaneously, the older man shoves. Two players claimed his hand should be dead. The floor declared the man's hand, had he turned, uh, he had turned straight, uh, should be dead, but said that his call on the river would stand. My questions. How do you handle a situation with someone who doesn't speak English and doesn't know the rules? Was it appropriate to let the younger man talk to the older man pre-flop in Chinese, ostensibly to explain the rules? In the final hand, what should have been the correct ruling? And was this player angle-shooting? Was his act, if it was an act, any less ethical than someone pretending to be dumb and not know how to play? All right, Elliot says, this is an uncommon situation, but it's something I have run into on a few occasions. Uh, When a prospective player is both new to the game um, and to the English language, the only fair solution for everyone is to not allow the person to play. The amount of effort wasted by the deal on the players to get this player to act every time it is his turn will be very large, and the game probably will grind down to a halt, making the experience unenjoyable to the point that the game will surely break before the new player gets up to speed. Inevitably, this new player will be involved in a situation requiring a decision be made by a supervisor, and, of course, there'll be no way to explain why you're taking his chips or cards. There's no upset at all to letting someone sit down that doesn't know uh, poker or English. Uh, Two, communication with a friend must be limited uh, to between hands only. It is never appropriate to consult another person while playing poker. The one player to a hand rule is fundamental, fundamental and no one has any idea what is being uh, communicated. If someone needs simultaneous translation just to get through a betting round, and that someone is slowing the game down too much for the players, dealers, and the casino. Three, on the river, uh, you bet. He then consulted his translator and then insta-called. The supervisor's decision was kind of correct. I have to assume he ruled the hand dead because of the violation of one player to a hand. The correct decision in this spot is to place all the money after the verbal exchange on the side and declare that any action in the offending player's favor is void from that point. This means that all the player's action up to his river bet would be in play, but only you could gain from your raise or any other bets after his conversation. If you win the pot, you win everything. If he were to hold the best hand, you would get your raise refunded. The offending player should then be given, if possible, a serious warning or ejection. It's probably more diplomatic to explain that due to the language and rules barrier that this is not the game for him. To be fair, this ruling is very contextual. We certainly don't want players randomly taking shots at killing the hands of enemy players by, quote, helping out during a hand. And four, I fail to see how this is an angle shot unless you have a translation of the verbal exchange between him and his companion. It does feel like rules were broken in a very large way. I don't know if it was an act, but it was a breach of two fundamental rules, that one player to a hand and English only while hand is in progress. Someone pretending to be a neophyte is just coffee housing uh, in the worst way. What happened in your game can be any number of things. We just don't have enough information to determine that it was unethical or unknowing. This really burns my toast. (laughs) <laughs> and and here's why I, I would never sit down to anything where I didn't speak the language of the people who were doing the thing and I didn't understand what was being done what's the point of that right. I, I don't I don't roll into Mexico and walk into a basket weaving seminar and sit down I have no idea how to weave a basket, and I have no idea how to speak Mexican Spanish. Why would I sit down and try to do that there? 
I think this was they were being completely unfair to the casino and the players at the table. It was terrible of them to do that. If he doesn't know how to play, play Hold'em, go to the grandson and say, "Give me a lesson on how to play Hold'em," and tell me how to say in English, "Raise, fold, call." You know, instead you're trying to get your lesson from your grandson at the table at the expense of all of us. That's just terrible. That was that right there was. I mean, I don't know if unethical is the word, but it was it was poor. It was it was a poor choice of action, and it was just rude to me. I think that's terrible, and I, I think it was probably handled correctly. I, I I just don't know what else you could do. I would just hold the guy get lost, but you can't. I mean, you're you're a service industry, so you can't. So it's just really really a bad well, no, decision. I wouldn't tell him to get lost, but I would have. I would have. I, I think the dealer probably let this go on too long. I think it sounded like, of course, we're just getting um, you know Keith's um, version of it. Yeah, version of it, but. Um, I'm going to give him benefit of the doubt for being accurate here. That it was very clear from the very first hand that the gentleman couldn't speak the language and didn't know what he was doing. And at that point, I think the dealer should have just very politely said, "Hey, um, to the to the son that does speak English, hey, does, does he know what he's doing? And he he can't speak English, and he doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing. If that's the case, you know, why don't you please ask him to to stand up?" And then you can go, you know, teach him the game somewhere else, or he can watch this game, and you can explain things to him during it. But by having him play in the game when he when he can't communicate and doesn't know what he's doing is is not fair to these other players. And then that would have been after the first hand, and then none of the rest of this stuff would have happened. Um, that, so that's my bigger problem here. I I agree with you that these people were being rude. I don't necessarily think that they purposely were being rude. Um, they probably just weren't thinking about it yeah. for whatever reason. Um, but that's where a dealer needs to step in and, and let them know that they're being rude. You know, um, Nothing worse than, than, than being rude and then not realizing you're being rude until someone actually points it out to you. Yeah. Um, and I would much rather have somebody point out to me that I'm being rude as soon as possible so I can quit being rude. <laughs> uh, you're being rude. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I think that was the bigger the bigger problem there um, than anything. Um, and I would have been curious as to why the dealer just thought that it was fine just to let this keep going on because again, it, you're right, it's a customer service industry, and you're not serving just the one customer. You've got eight, nine other customers at that same table, and I think the dealer's job is to protect all of them and protect the integrity of the game and protect the the employer you know i mean yeah. and, and and really for the dealer i mean this is costing the dealer money well too right yeah now it's slowing down the game and he or she's not getting as many tips as if it was faster now you can't make players play as fast as you want them to but this is clearly a situation where um it's not proper and it's costing yourself money so i'm really curious why the dealer didn't um um, step in like yeah, right sooner. Away. Yeah, exactly. Try to take care of it. Hey, you know who else had a month off? It was O'Malley. Not that he asked for it. He didn't ask for the month off, but we gave it to him anyway, and now we have a new episode. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are playing in a $1, $2, no limit hold'em casino cash game. It's really early in the night. In fact, this is the first major hand we've been a part of. We bought in for 200, and after chopping the blinds once and seeing about 10 hands or so, we're starting to get somewhat of a feel for the table. Unfortunately, this means we now know the two players seated directly to our left are loose aggros. 
The blinds post and it's folded all the way around to us on the cutoff with the ace of diamonds, jack of diamonds. Now this can be a trap hand, but with only the button and blinds left to act, we're going to make a raise. Standard seems to be between 10 and $12, but since the two players to my left are laggies, we're going to make it $15 to go. They both call, but the big blind folds. With roughly $45 in the pot, the flop is the king of spades, jack of hearts, four of clubs. Not a great flop. The small blind checks, and since we were the preflop aggressor, we're going to keep it up. We bet $25. The button calls, small blind folds. The button started the hand with around $300. The turn is the seven of diamonds. Now this is when it starts to sink in. Playing out of position against a laggy is never good strategy. We check. The button makes a $50 bet into the pot of $95. Something isn't really sitting right with me. No raise preflop and no raise to my $25 bet on the flop. Could this be a king? We've only invested $40 into this pot, but I'm not convinced we're beat. We call. The river is the king of clubs. We check. Our opponent leads out for another $50. So, kings and jacks with an ace kicker? Are we good here? What's the move? It's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And uh, first time uh, writer, I believe, Corey O'Donnell. And uh, he calls us Andy up poker gurus, Chris. Oh, there's his first mistake. <laughs> well, we are the gurus of Andy up poker. Yeah, it I guess so. that we're gurus of anything important. That's true. He says I was sitting at a uh, three three hundred uh, no limit hold'em game yesterday, so blinds of two and three dollars. So it must be one of those um, jurisdictions where the bets capped at three hundred. Okay. So essentially, plays like no limit hold'em until the stacks get too big, and then then it becomes a spread limit game with a very wide spread. <laughs> um, all right, he says uh, he has about five hundred dollars uh, in front of him, uh, and he's seated in late position. And the pot has been limped by several players, and he looks down at the king of clubs, ten of clubs. Fold. How many times have I brought up the Foxwoods king of clubs, ten of clubs hand on this show? <laughs> and it costs me money. Why? Because it's not the nuts to anything unless the ace of clubs comes out or, you know, inevitably someone's going to have ace king or king queen. They're going to have you pipped or it's just a bad hand. Fold. Let it go. Okay, I've done my duty. I don't have to do anything else. Now, I will argue that there's been a lot of limpers in here. Uh -huh. And if we've been at this table long enough to know that the people behind us are not going to put a big raise in to, to punish those limpers. Um, I'm not necessarily opposed to a three-hour flyer here with the understanding that I had to flop it hard. Yes. The king's not going to work. A ten's not going to work. I'm going to need a you know an open-ended straight draw um, or clubs, and preferably with that easy club out there so I'm not sucked into the second-best flush. Yes. Um, or, you know, two kings, two tens, something like that. But um, I, I, I would probably be worthy. Uh, I, I, I would probably put the three bucks in here, but then again, I'm disciplined enough to throw this away if I don't get what I want. Yes, so. yes. Truth be told, I do the same thing. I would just... I mean, I might be crazy and then not believe them and be the one that goes, uh, 20 bucks to go, you know, and just get them all to fold and or represent whatever flop comes. 
Um, which is there is a, I think there is a, a call to do that as well. If you're in a late position, like you said, and these people are limping along, you could just steal some money and if not represent whatever flops uh, or that you have what's better than what flops, you know, and just steal some money. Um, so there's a chance to do that to avoid the problem that inevitably is going to come because this is the end of the week. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I, truth be told, I probably would just limp along and then hope I hit it really, really hard. Um, and then, you know, but that's that's a terrible thing, too. too. You're, you know, whenever you have to limp and hope you hit it hard, it's like, maybe you just fold. So I don't know. But I probably wouldn't limp, too, if I'm being honest. I think our, our better equity here is a limp and hope for a really good flop and to, to get, get a stack or two here. Because we raise right now, you're right, we, we could pick up um, some dead money here. Maybe get heads up or something, but then we have to play this hand out, um, regardless of what comes. And I think that gets a little bit more difficult. I, I think we have a better chance of profiting on this hand by limping and hoping for a big hand. But, yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, uh, let's see. Um, all right, so he, he decides to limp as well. Um, he says a player directly directly to my left makes a twelve to go. And it's called four times before it comes back to me. Ugh. So, <laughs> I mean, I, you need, it's the same odds now. Everything's the same, yeah, basically. Costing us a little bit more, but <laughs> costing us more, but we're still everything is still the same as far as the, you know, what your odds and so, I guess you got a call, which is terrible. Yeah, again, with the same rules. So right, uh, no, nothing changes the rules. All right, he says, uh, well, I don't love King-10. I have to spend the additional $9 into the $60 plus pot, knowing I have the discipline to fold if I don't strike magic. All right, good. All right, uh-huh. we're all on the same page then. Uh, flop is the King-10-Jack rainbow, and it checks to us. <sighs> well, I mean, I guess you got to bet. It, it's you still got the razor, though. That's the thing, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, maybe you let the razor bet force them all out, and then you raise him out. You raise him a little more and hope he has something like aces, and you know, or queens, or, or I don't know, queens. You probably would fold your re-raise, but it's just something about if I bet now, and then the razor calls, then you might get these other guys calling with a lone queen or something, like someone I know. Um, so I don't know. Uh, it's it's a scary flop actually. Even though we flopped two pair, top and bottom yeah, is not great. What I'm going to say is that uh, this this does not qualify to me as flopping big. Right. You know we we have top and bottom pair, but it's a a dangerous board for a lot of reasons. I mean, somebody could have uh, the straight already and yeah. slow playing. Um, if not, we still got to dodge some dangerous cards coming up. Um, you know, if we don't get another king or a ten, I, I'm not very excited about this. If they put an ace or a queen out there, um, um, or a nine, um, then then we're dead, right? So, and you're right, we have the the original razor after us, um, and, and I don't know what that guy folds that that made that raise. I mean, he has an ace, you know, he's got a straight draw still. Uh, if he's got a queen, he's got a straight draw. Uh, he has both. <laughs> he already has the straight. Um, I, I don't see a lot of upside for us betting here. I think I want to try to, you know, get get the show down here as cheaply as possible, and, unless my hand gets better than this. So, yeah, it's it's okay, scary. Oh, but I'm definitely going to check here. 
it's scary because if you check and then you give up a free card, which could happen, and then you're giving them the unlimited amount of abilities to hit those draws. You know, if somebody has a queen or somebody has an ace and they hit the gutter, somebody has a nine and they hit the queen. You know, I mean, they're just then you'll kick yourself when the fourth card comes and then they bet just a little bit and you're suckered in to try to hit that boat on the end and it's terrible it's a terrible situation this is why i would have full king 10 see i had your back and you didn't listen to me yeah i would argue though that um we're not really giving up the free card here i mean we are obviously but i mean if we we bet here i don't know whether any of the hands that we're scared about are going to go anywhere so unless we're prepared to put in a really big bet here um, I, I think we're just making the free card more expensive for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I don't know. I'm not comfortable enough putting in a big bet here because it's very likely that somebody has the the straight already. And you know, now now we're gonna have to hit to improve on that. So that seems a real dangerous to me. Um, you know, I'm fine checking, and and if the ace or the queen comes, and then, then I can lay this down. You know, and you know, unless it checks. I, I get my own free card to, to resuck out, but um, but I think this is what we're talking about: this is the discipline here, the discipline to get out of a bad situation. And this is an intriguing situation, but it's a bad situation. So I, I'm going to check here. I, we'll see what happens after that, and I will reassess. But uh, I'm I'm not willing to put a bet in here. All right. Well. I I think I probably would check just because I want to see what the Razor did to me. Not that I'm not willing to put money in, but I think I am willing to put money in. But if the original Razor bet something and then you get some, like, random caller in between, I may then go crazy. I don't know. It just depends. I may then, totally, like, absolutely. go crazy. I mean, I'm, so. I'm going to totally reassess after I see what happens. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, yeah, I might become more active. I might fold. I might just call. Um, but I, I want to see what happens. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's check and see what happens. All right, uh, our hero leaves out for twenty five dollars, so a little bit less than a half uh, size bet. Um, actually, no, probably about a third third the pot bet. Uh, what did you say? It was sixty plus in the pot, so yeah, probably about sixty nine. Well, minus rake, so yeah, so yeah, a little less than a half, a little more than a third, yeah. Um, and he says the only caller is the original razor directly to my left. So, all right, so the guy we were worried about raising us just calls on this. So he must be either, I would think, either scared a little bit or he already has the straight, right? Uh, maybe. I mean, he could have something like ace-king and, you know, he's not convinced that we have the nuts or anything. He's just thinking, okay, I got top pair, top kicker. It's It's scary. But this guy might be trying to just steal it because there's so many of us in this hand. You know, I, he could be just calling um, and, and reassessing. Who knows? <clears throat> All right. Uh, the turn is an ace. And uh, here it says a uh, terrible card, no flush possibility. Uh, but obviously queen is now a made hand. Uh, I fear my opponent may have ace queen or queen queen. Or given his history after two hours of playing ace ten or even a pair under the board. He says he's made small pre-flop raises with a suited A slow pair in any top ten hand. Um, obviously, it's uh, on us to begin. Yeah, see, this is the this is the problem with playing king ten, because if the guy did have ace king, now we're literally drawing to a ten. And if he, you know, if he had pocket aces, he's got a set, and we're drawn dead. If he had ace, you know, like you said, ace queen. And he already flopped it, but if he he could have had something like 
king queen or queen queen, like he said. So there's so many hands now that not only get there and screw us, but even just outkick us, you know, because of, you know, he could have had ace jack and call with the jack and send me, maybe I'll hit my gutter, and now he's got aces up anyway, or ace 10, like he said. So, I mean, there's so many hands now that kill king 10, which is why it's such a terrible hand to play, right. and then to, to, to get suckered in like this. You know, the worst thing could be, you know, if he had, if he's got Broadway already now, and uh, we're drawn to, you know, the kings and the tens, or if he had pocket aces, we're drawn dead. I mean, it's just, ugh. So, I don't know. Uh, I'm definitely checking. I, mean, I, I can't bet into this, so I'm checking. Yeah, and here, here's, I think, illustrates the problem with us betting on the flop now. Is now we have to check here, and... So we're we're giving up control of a hand that we haven't really actually ever had control of, right? So, yeah. Whereas if we had checked before and let him put out the $25 bet and called, now he could be worried that we're sitting here with the queen, right? And we would get a... If that was the case, we would get a free card to hit our boat. But now that we, we bet and now we check, now he has to wonder, unless we're trying to be really tricky here, um, that this this card scares us. So whether he has it or not, he's going to bet, and then we're going to be put to a test. And this is not a test I like. Right. This is one of those where I really wish we could go back in time and check and just see whether that worked out the way I just <laughs> but yeah didn't. And um, so yeah, I think we have to check, and then let's just call this a thirty four dollar lesson. Um, you know, unless he happens to check behind us, and then we get lucky. But um, I don't know. Okay. All right, uh, here it says, given the many hands that can now beat me, I opt to hit the brakes and check. My opponent checks as well. <laughs> wow. That was a gift. Um, he, he totally misread this whole situation. <laughs> I think our, our opponent did. Wow. Um, that was an opportunity to bet here. But All right, uh, the river is a king. So our final board is king, 10, jack, ace, king. And our hero says, uh, pay dirt. His check on the turn suggested he feared the queen as well, but I suspected he had it and was hoping to trap on the river. Well, that was a dangerous check, <laughs> if that's the case. Yeah. Um, at this point, my read is that he holds ace-queen. Uh, my opponent has a history of bluffing and raising on the river and has made big bets at least three times against me to push me off a top pair hand of the river. I suspect they were bluffs because he had shown no interest in giving money away to relatively small pots and a willingness to be disciplined enough to fold. For example, two hands prior, I held king-king against another player and re-raised a $15 bet to $45 pre-flop, got re-raised to 100 called, and folded to an all-in after a queen-five-deuce flop, showed my hand, and called out the opponent's aces. So I believe my table image is one of conservative play uh, when information suggests I could be behind. Um, so obviously there's some... That, that's some help as we figure out what, what to do because we are first acting. Well, I gotta tell you, normally, I mean, I took control of this hand, this guy just called us, and then he checked behind us a second time, so it's not like he has control of the hand. Right. Um, the problem here for me is that he raised preflop. He raised preflop when we had limpers, so he had to have some sort of hand and then when he, when we bet, if he had queens, he might call because he's open-ended. And when that turn comes, there's no way he checks behind when he finally hits the basically, you know, 
eight outer or whatever you want to, to him it's eight outs I guess. So why would he call the bet on the flop and not bet the hand when he makes it on the turn? There's only two streets left. He's not trying to get us to bluff. He's got he's got position. So if he wants us to bluff, then he would want us to do it on the river, I guess. But it doesn't make sense to me that if he got rescued for having pocket queens and then making a straight to not bet it now. So something tells me he doesn't have a queen, and that's a legitimate check. So if he doesn't have a queen, what hand would call that bet on the flop, check behind on that ace? Could it be ace-king? If it's ace-king, we're screwed. Yes, we are. If it's any raised preflop, ace king fits right into that story, and so does ace ace. Pocket aces, as rare as they are, crush us here, and still would play the same way. If you had pocket aces and that flop came and someone bet twenty five with a sixty nine dollar pot, you'd probably call one street, hope to hit your gutter or another ace. He hits the ace. Now he's got three aces, but he's still afraid of a queen. We check. He's like, maybe he's trying to trap me. Let me check behind and fill up. And then when he tries to bet his queen, I'm going to crush him. Right. So either way, I think, yeah, you're probably going to say to me when I tell you here that I want to check that I'm missing value for my hand. I will not be telling you that. Well, someone like Brent will tell me that, and I understand that. But the other thing, too, is it's hand of the week, so I'm always cautious. But I think that what hand would play this way, a queen would not have played it this way. I, I just don't think a queen would have played it this way. I think a queen would have bet that turn to stop you from filling up, because what hand bets King-10, Jack, Rainbow, with five people in the hand with you? Exactly. So I, I think I think we have to bet that turn, and because we didn't, I think we have a better two-pair or a set that filled up bigger than our f- filling up. And, I, and I, I'm i a little worried. Now, maybe we had the same hand. Who knows? Maybe they has King Jack, and we're still screwed. Either way, I think I would rather check and see if this guy maybe value bets and then just call. Yeah, I think that's probably our best option is a check and a, and a, a reasonable value bet call. Um, there's still a chance we have the best hand, but uh, I, I'm really worried that we don't. And so I don't want to put any money in now and get raised um, and throw even more money away. I'd rather check, and they've got nothing, then he wasn't, wasn't going to pay us off anyhow. But he's got to have something, right? Yeah. And it's hard to imagine what a, a a hand at this point that would call our bet that we can beat. Um, unless it's just a queen, and you're right. The queen, absolutely no reason not to bet that queen on the turn. Yeah, I can't think of any reason to not, I mean, to not even protect your straight because that turn probably put two of the same suit on, even though it was rainbow. Yeah, that's true. You know, and then even if the guy doesn't have a queen, you're giving him a free shot to put Broadway on the board. Right, right, right. Yeah. There's just there's just so many reasons to bet that turn and to not bet it with, what, 50, over 100 in the pot. doesn't make any sense. So uh, I would love to just check call and say, hey, you know what? I know I played it stupid, but I was playing on a level that, you know, doesn't make sense to you, but to me, it's a different level. And I was thinking of a hand that you could, a couple of hands that you could beat me with, and we played it that way. That's why I check called. You know, the guy's not going to shove on the end unless he's bluffing, and I, I don't think he's bluffing because he would have bet the turn. It just seems weird to me. I'm just going to check call and hope it's a reasonable bet. Right. All right. Uh, here it says I can't decide whether to check and let him take action or make a bet that appears like my own attempt to steal the pot. I'll have to put out a weak-seeming $65 bet. 
Following norms, he takes a moment and pushes all in for roughly 250 more. Yeah, this is the reason I didn't want to bet. Yeah. Especially because of the history of this guy liking to bet big and force you off hands. Yeah. So we're now we're in a really tough spot here, and I don't think I can make this call. Um, now, I don't know what would have happened, whether we would have checked. I, don't, I obviously wouldn't have bet $315. I just don't, I just don't know if I can fold King's Full. You know what I mean? And that's the thing is I could have called easily 100 if I had just checked called 100, which is what he would bet. He would never bet more than the pot. He'd want to get value for his hand if he has you beat. He's not going to want to just shove and lose that opportunity hoping you have a third king if he has like aces full or aces uh, kings full of aces or kings full of jacks. He's going to want to get value for this hand. So by you making it 65, three times that is 180, 195. So... You know, a shove there it makes sense, but if you didn't make any bet at all, a three hundred fifteen dollar bet doesn't make sense on the end there for a hundred dollar pot. So he would have bet like eighty five, right. and you could have called that comfortably because you just bet sixty five, and then you'll know. And so instead, now you're going to have to deal with all the history of this guy too, who like to force you off of hands, and that's going to play against you. And he knows that if he's got the nuts, he's going to use it against you. This is why it's terrible to bet out there. And if you miss the street, ah, I miss the street, but I still want a hundred dollar pot. Right, exactly. You know, with King 10, when I shouldn't have been playing in the first place. Right. So I would have just checked call. Now, I, I don't think I can fold here, but given the history of this this show and this segment, we're beat. <laughs> you know? Um, but because of the real-time thing, I wouldn't have played it this way either. Um, but because it was played this way, I, I just... I don't know. I want to fold because I know we're beat. I just know we are. Um, and if I'm at the table and I get that real feeling, I would fold. So yeah, I would yeah. fold. Um, but yeah, I would have check called. I have no problem folding here. Um, and again, it's a reminder of what happens when you get involved with King Ten. And yeah. Um, all right. Uh, our hero calls and is crushed when his opponent turns over Ace Ace. Uh, yeah. And he goes on to say the hand as it played out was full of possible mistakes by me. Uh, not limited to playing the the King Ten to begin with. The lack of a bigger bet on the flop, the lack of a measuring bet on the turn, and the overconfidence on the river when voted up. But at the same time, it feels as though he had the perfect setup to crush me with a turn card that slowed me down while pushing him into a lead, leaving him exposed to a queen as well. After that turn, I can uh, fold to almost any bet and fully plan to fold the river short of a king or a ten. So it's a runner-runner perfect setup to take my money. Anyway, enjoy the show and look forward to hearing you it for this mistake. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it's funny. That's how it happens. That's how you always lose all your money. Yeah. Runner, runner, or the miracle card at the end that they call it. You know what I mean? It, that's how you get your money because in your mind, what are the odds is what you say. What are the odds this guy has ace-ace? Well, if you play it back, ace-ace would have played it this way. Likely might have played it this way. Ace-king might have done this. King-jack might have done that. King-jack might have bet, might have raised you on that flop. Um, but other than that, you know, I mean, Ace King is only one pair with a, you know, with an, and then when the Ace comes on the turn, he's looking at, okay, yeah, I got top two, but any Queen beats me, so I'm not betting this. You know, so Ace King and Ace Ace makes total sense. Uh, make total sense there, and I, and I just, I feel bad, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if I, in the moment, I probably call. I mean, I made some pretty horrible calls on the ship because I was just kind of frying, and at the yeah. end when I knew I was beat, you know, I knew I was beat, but you just had to see it because you wanted to moan about it for a month. Um, so maybe I do call there too with him, uh, but just knowing it was the end of the week, I knew he was beat, and I had to fold. 
Now, I think our opponent also made a mistake pre-flop, raising the 12 with all these limpers. Yeah, it should have been more than that. I mean, we're in a 2-3 game here. I mean, uh, and he said, we don't know how many limpers, but several, he said, and then you just make a 12, which is kind of what I would be probably my standard raise without limpers. Right. And certainly, you know, with aces, I want to protect that hand. And, you know, you also got to think, too, I think this is the other thing that people get trapped with aces is that they, they want action, so they try too hard to get action, right? Yeah. 12, I mean, you make that 30 to go, and you're still going to get action. You're still going to get one of these players, I would think, to come along. And if not, then you probably weren't going to get much out of them anyhow. anyhow but um, the 12 just invited this flop. I mean, the guy had a chagrin when he looks at this. Um, there's all kinds of hands now that have you beat on there. I mean, Jack-10 would be in for a limp pot there. Um, you know, any kind of queen, so now you have the open-ended. And so, I mean, I guess it was worth the 25 bucks at that point um, to... I, I mean, I guess you're at that point you're down to a four outer, um, and then you hit the ace, and then you can't be too confident about that. So, you know, make that twenty five dollar call, and now you have to hope for two cards to come. Right. Really confident, confident with your hands. So, um, you know, our opponent made a lot of mistakes too, and then got got really rewarded for it. On our ship, when we play one three, standard raise almost always is ten. 12 or 15 some people will be funny and make it six and some people will make it nine to annoy the dealer to have to give you change and all that but almost always for just a one three game it's at least 10 likely 12 or 15 that's a one three game this is a two three game so you've already increased it by a dollar as far as that's already committed and then you had at least four limpers maybe five because it said the 12 dollars got called four times before it got back to him so that's what f- that's five people limping so five times three you add that 15 to what normally is the bet if the normal raise is 10 you're looking at least a 25 dollar bet here right pre-flop and maybe even make it 30 because it's aces even though you shouldn't really change your hand for it but still 25 at least narrow that field and get the king 10 out because we fold we king 10 there if we limp for three and then make it 25 i'm not calling with king 10 and then look at the trouble that the aces got in on the flop, right? So there's still a bunch of people in this pot. We don't know how many exactly, but um, you know, a guy knows that we raised pre-flop and now bets twenty-five bucks, which is kind of a smallish bet, but uh, twenty-five bucks. So now we have to decide if we want to call this twenty-five because we don't have a hand strong enough to raise him here, right? Right. And if we call. What happens if the the ace queen was uh, check lame? raising? Yeah. Yep. Now check raises. Now yep. we just threw away another twenty five bucks. Yep. Rough, rough. Yeah. Rough. Aces are tough to play, and if you're playing them wrong, it makes it worse. So he got lucky. He really did. And our and our guy got unlucky. I feel yeah. bad. Yeah. Sorry, Corey. Hey, it's good to be back, and uh, that's another show. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.